Warm. <lacht> nee! <lacht> Thanks. Brilliant. Thank you. I don't get a chance to preach very often, so it's nice to, uh, uh, to do that. Amen. We're starting a new series uh, on basically on how we as Christians can change the world. And today we're going to look at how we can change it for those who are poor. And uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 25. So if you've got your Bible, uh, you'd like to open it up. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 25. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, but we're going to read this passage starting at verse 31. So turn on your Bibles, open them up, whatever. And this is the reading. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. It's a challenging parable of Jesus there. And, you know, there are several dangers we can sometimes face when we're making our theology of how we as Christians should live and behave and how we should take our faith. It's too easy to take some of the teachings of Jesus that we like and ignore some of the teachings of Jesus that we don't, that don't fit into the way that we see things. And if there was ever a parable that's often been forgotten, or misused, it's this one. I can't remember the last time I ever heard anyone preach on this particular parable. And I've been going to church for quite a few years now, too many years probably, but I can't remember anyone preaching about it. 
And one of the reasons they is because we fought so hard to preserve the teaching that we are saved by faith alone that we can't get to heaven by our good works, that sometimes we avoid this parable because it seems to teach exactly the thing that we're trying to avoid. This parable, though, is beloved by people who love what one might describe as a social gospel. The kind of idea that the main thing that Jesus wants to do is to be loving and kind and nice to people, and it doesn't really matter what you believe about him, about Jesus, and about heaven and hell, and all of that sort of thing. It doesn't really matter because everything's going to be all right in the end. But actually, this parable teaches just about everything that we need to know about how to live our lives. You know, if we misread this one, we're going to have a lopsided gospel. This year, we've been looking at the whole idea of every giant must fall. What a great theme it's been, hasn't it? And we looked at some really, really great ideas behind that. We looked at the whole money secret thing. Uh, We've looked at the whole idea of our identity, which we've just been looking at with the Greatest Showman series. But most of the giants that we've looked at have got something to do with us. So they mainly sort of centered around what we do and, and our responsibilities for ourselves and what God wants to do for us. And the trouble is, if that's all we ever do... We will have a really lopsided gospel. We'll be like the people, you know, like a bird flapping with one wing, just going round and round and round in circles. You know, the most famous, I don't know what the most famous Bible verse there ever was, but you'll know it's John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And you know what we tend to do? We tend to uh, personalize that. And it's good to personalize it. It's good to say, God did not just love the world, but he loved me. It's great to do that, but the word actually says the world, and God's love extends far, far beyond me and you. His love extends to everyone throughout the whole of the planet, and if we get ourselves out of focus, if we we bear it all upon ourselves, if we could then somehow weigh up all the troubles that we have and compare them with the suffering of people across the world, we might do well not to complain too much. Because we should do whatever we can, whenever we can, to help people who are in need. So what does this parable teach us? Well, the first thing it tells us about it is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. What a fantastic thing. Are you waiting for the day when Jesus is coming back again? It says he's going to come back and he's going to bring all his angels with him. What a crowd that's going to be. Amen. What a crowd. I was with 90,000 people last week uh, singing Watford's praise in the cup final. Ah. (laughs) All right. But there's going to be more than 90,000 people, 90,000 angels The whole host of heaven is going to be there. And Jesus is going to return in all his glory. He's not going to return as a baby. He's going to return as a conquering king. What a thing. I'm waiting for that day. I hope you are too. But also, it's the second thing it tells us. On that day, it's not all going to be plain sailing for everybody. Because this basically says, on that day, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be judgment. And for everyone, it says that all nations will appear before him. And, and if you've ever been to the Sistine Chapel in, uh, in Rome, 
Uh, you'll see this a lovely uh, thing that Michelangelo did, his imagination of what the last judgment is going to be. Uh, it, it's the most amazing uh, thing, as you know, people from all over the world just go along to see that. But there's going to be a judgment. I'll be there, so will you. Every beggar will be there. Every millionaire will be there. Every member of every tribe in the darkest jungle will be there. Every pop star will be there. Everyone's going to be there. And if you're looking forward to that day, sort of in confidence, thinking, well, I've been quite a nice guy, really. I haven't done anything particularly bad. I've tried to look after my neighbor. I've helped old people across the road. I've been quite a nice guy, really. If that's where your confidence is, then beware. Because do you remember in the story, it was the people said, we, we didn't know when we weren't helping you, Jesus. We were unaware of what was actually going on. You know, if, if our confidence is in what we have done, then actually we will, uh, you know, we'll think, because Jesus, some people, you know, the good people said, when did we do all these things? So then, then Jesus also said another thing. He says there's going to be a separation. He's going to separate sheep from goats. Now, the idea that there is a heaven and a hell offends many people today, doesn't it? They say, if there is a God of love, shouldn't he let everyone in? If that's where God, God is love. Actually, just an interesting thing. If you ask them where they get the idea that God is love from, there's only one place you get the idea that God is love, and that's written in the Bible. None of the other religious writings say God is just, God is mighty, God is awesome. Nowhere else does it say God is love. And yet the God who is love says there's going to be a separation. Because your trouble is this, if you let everyone into heaven, it won't be heaven anymore, will it? If you let Hitler in, he'd need a little corner of himself where nobody else but a German could possibly get to him. If you let Stalin in, you'd have to say, he'd say, well, all men are equal, but some people are more equal than others, and he'd want special treatment. If you let anyone in, just anybody, heaven will not be heaven. And heaven can only be heaven if our eyes are not on ourselves, but on Jesus, who's the embodiment of perfect love and perfect justice. But Jesus talks many times about the idea of a separation. There's a, a picture here of, of, of this. I don't know the, the, there's a parable Jesus tells of wheat and tares. Wheat is good to eat, tares are not. But if you can separate the idea with it, that, that is wheat and tares growing together. You can't actually tell the difference to the untrained eye of what is actually going on. Jesus said he'll let them grow together, but in the end they must be separated. He talked about how the wise and foolish both have lamps, but only the wise fill their lamps with oil. He talked about the fact that the lazy servant was given a talent, but actually buried it and never used it, and he was separated too. And actually, you know the, the thing that's really a, a thing that we, every one of us should to bear in mind, Jesus actually seemed to indicate sometimes that those who are saved will be in the minority. He said the way to life is narrow, and the way to destruction is broad. Why is that? That's because sadly, most people are seeking their own idea of heaven and not seeking the Jesus who is the center of all that heaven is about. But I tell you one thing, if you are seeking Jesus today, 
If there's something in your heart that says, I want to know more about this Jesus, I want to tell you this morning that you will find him if you seek for him with all your heart. Because I tell you, as much as you are seeking for him, he is seeking for you. He said he'd leave the 99 behind if only there was one person that he could rescue. And if that's you this morning, you're thinking, I want this. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to be close to God. All I want to say to you is, you, is, is just, just commit your hands into itself into the hands of God. Because he loves you and he wants you in his kingdom. Now, the image that Jesus gives us in the parable he wrote was on judgment day, he will separate sheep from goats. The sheep will inherit the kingdom prepared for them since the world began, and the goats will experience this judgment. What a choice. And as I said already, you know, some people want to imagine this idea of Jesus being all nice and sentimental and lovey-dovey, mushy sort of love. But Jesus, Jesus came from heaven down to the earth, and he went back to heaven afterwards. So if anyone knows what the reality of heaven and hell are like, it's Jesus. He knows. He's been there. He's seen it all. And he's telling us the reality of what's coming. And if he wasn't to tell it to us, even though it's unpalatable, if he wasn't to tell it to us, then uh, you know he would not be actually loving to you. If I knew that the coffee in the, in the cafe was going to poison you if you drank it, I wouldn't be loving if I didn't tell you. It's all right, by the way. But, but you understand, it's nice coffee. But Jesus tells us the reality of what things are going to be like, because actually that's a loving thing to do. Now, why did Jesus use the illustration of sheep and goats? Now, in Jesus' day, this would have been a common scene that you see on the screen. Uh, you'd have flocks of mixed herds. They, they had sheep and goats. And if you can tell which are the sheep and which are the goats, you're doing really, really well. Um, Today, I mean, what, what do we do? If you go, if you take your, I like my grandchildren, or you'll take, take you to a standalone farm or somewhere like that, you usually see a whole flock of sheep, loads of them in a field, and about five goats in a, in a pen somewhere like that, uh, quite separate. That's the sort of thing that you see. Um, but obviously, in Jesus' day, they, they tended to have fairly large flocks of both. And, and, and people have tried to work out, why was it that Jesus picked on sheep to be nice and goats not to be? Well, some people reckon that goats have a very unruly nature. And if you go anywhere near a goat at Standalow Farm and you've got anything in your hand, you know, it'll bite your hand off, right? Okay, so you know that goats can be a little bit unruly. Possibly it's that. Some people say that goats have a bad smell. Uh, not having got too close to goats, anyone. I'm not absolutely sure how true that is, but that's another one. Um, somebody once said that you can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat because the goats are always going, but... But Lord this, but Lord that. They're always finding an excuse for everything. But actually, it's quite hard for people to tell the difference. Perhaps Jesus is saying the outward appearance is very similar, but it's actually what's going on inside the heart that makes the difference. And as a master shepherd, he can always tell the difference. Now, just to, to see, can you tell the difference between sheep and goats? It's a little quiz. All right, I'm going to show you some pictures. Show the first one. All right, okay. Now, you've got to say, is that a sheep or a goat? And if you think, ah, if you think it's a sheep, 
you raise your right hand. And if you think it's a goat, you raise your left hand. There are five to two, all right? And so we'll see who gets through to the end, all right? Sheep or goat? So sheep is your right hand, because that's where the sheep were. Goat's your left hand, right? Okay? So, okay, the answer is it's a... All right, okay, it's a goat. Second one, sheep or goat? So sheep is right, goat is left. Are you still in? By the way, if you guessed once already, you got it wrong, you're out, all right? Okay, so, okay, so that one is a sheep. All right, and the third one, please. Only keep going if you're still in, sheep or goat? Sheep is right, goat is left. All right? Sheep or goat? Oh, it's a sheep. Oh, he told you already. All right, okay. Quick, quickly through. Right, okay, it's a sheep. All right. Number four. Sheep or goat? Who's still left in, by the way? Not many. A few people left in. All right? Sheep or goat? All right? And the answer is goat. Last one. Who's left in? I don't know who's left in. Right. Okay, there are no prizes, unfortunately, for this. All right, sheep or goat? Sheep or goat, those left in. All right, and the answer is sheep. Who's still in? Very well done. You're obviously master shepherds. All right. Fantastic. Now, so, I mean, it's actually difficult to tell the difference to you and I, but Jesus can tell the difference. And he tells the difference because of the way they acted. Actually, it's not only just how they acted, it's actually what was going on in their hearts. Because actually, you know, as you and I can do that, we can act a certain way, but our hearts can be very far from what we're doing. Do you know what I mean? And so it's really, really important like that. He knows. The sheep displayed their faith by carrying out acts of mercy, while the goats didn't care. The sheep looked after those who were hungry and thirsty. They housed the homeless. They clothed those who had nothing. They cared for the sick. They visited those in prison where the goats just cared for themselves. Jesus identified himself with those who were suffering. That's an interesting. Jesus identified himself with those who were suffering. He said he was the one that was hungry. He was the one that was thirsty. He was the one that was in prison and needed visiting. He was the one that was sick. Jesus said in every act to help those in need, those, the sheep were actually serving and helping Jesus. Amazing. Actually, in one sense, Jesus lets the cat out of the bag here, doesn't he? Because he tells us something that we should be realizing. He tells us something that when we help somebody who is in need, yes, we are helping that person who's in need, but actually we are helping him. We are serving him. And of course, it's possible. In Jesus' day, people rejected what he had to say. And Jesus didn't always chase around after everybody. You know, he didn't chase after the Pharisees all the time to try and make sure, oh, please believe me, please come back to me, please do this. Sometimes he spoke very clear words to them so that they might change and be different. And one of the things that we do need to absolutely understand is that sometimes Jesus said to his disciples, when people in a particular town uh, reject you, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and you're to wipe the dust of your feet off from behind you as you leave. 
It's important to realize that though we are to help everybody, if people reject us, they're not rejecting us. Actually, they're rejecting Jesus. And I want to clear something up as well. I think the reason we ignore this parable is, as I said before, it seems to be teaching that good works will get you to heaven. So perhaps if you're the organizer of comic relief or anything like that, you know, some big thing like that, that that is good enough to get you to heaven. That seems to be the, almost, if you take Jesus' words, if this parable alone, literally, that seems to be what it is. But and by the way, let's cheer on everything that goes to meet the needs of the poor and the marginalized and everything like, bless God for comic relief and all of the other things like that. But you can't promote this parable to be the one whereby you judge all the other teachings of Jesus by. You need to fly with two wings, not just with one. Because Jesus talked about a super religious man who went to the temple and thanked God for all the things he was able to do. And he tithed and he gave away this and gave away that. And next door to him there was a, a publican, a, 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 someone who was a, a, you know, a, a, a despised person in those days. And he didn't raise his face to heaven. He just said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one who's met my heart crying. That's the one. Not the one who thought he was all right, who thought everything that was good. It's that one is the one that Jesus praised. He taught that he would leave 99 good people behind in order to search for one who'd gone astray. You know, it's only when you and I first understand that no matter what good things we do, it's never, ever, ever enough to impress Jesus. Do you understand that? No matter how good, no matter how many good works. You know, uh, I've, I've the privilege of being our church community director and going out and doing all sorts of things with Christians Against Poverty, helping people like that. Do you know one of the things that I weep over most of the sometimes, Lord, I'm doing this, but is my heart in it? Do you understand? Do you understand? We can do things. We can act in a certain way that looks like we are doing great stuff. And people can look at you and think, oh, aren't they wonderful? And yet in your own heart you think, Lord, am I doing enough? Am I doing what I should be doing? Because it's it's, sometimes it doesn't like that. Because it's true, we cannot, we dare not risk eternal life. Listen, eternal life is coming whether you like it or not. You know, like right this minute, exams are going on in this school and other schools around. Uh, you know, it, they're coming. They're here. If you try to pretend they were never coming, you're just going to fail them all. Heaven and hell, the choice is coming. How are we going to get there? It's important to know. And the thing is that what we're afraid of, and we and many people are afraid of, is that we don't want to think people to think of is that they're going to get there by their good works. You know, we're afraid of the perversions of it. In the Middle Ages, do you remember that they used to promise heaven for anyone who'd go and fight in the Crusades? They promised heaven for anyone who'd pay their indulgences to keep St. Peter's from falling down in Rome. So today, there are quite a lot of Christian expressions where it seems to be that what seems to be more important than anything else is what you do. And listen, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is actually telling us what we do is absolutely vital, but it's not what saves you. It's the evidence of what's happened inside you like that. 
We're not saved by what we do. But what we do is the evidence that we are saved, that there's been a change of heart in us, that the old has gone and the new has come. If you say, I'm a Christian, I'm on my way to heaven, so I'll ignore the world and its needs because I've got my ticket, you're on the wrong train. 1 John 3.17 says this. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can God's love be in him? Later on in chapter 4, he says, if anyone does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love his brother to love God who he has not seen? He said, you cannot love God if you don't love your brother. It's an impossibility. But never, ever, ever, ever let us... You know, I said, you know, sometimes we, we feel we can never do enough. But never let us stop doing what we can do for the fear of what we can't do. I mean, I'm sure many of you are, are used to the old starfish uh, illustration. I know many probably know it, but for those who don't, the idea is, is that the one day that there was a, a man walking along the seashore and he saw loads and loads of starfish across the seashore. And uh, there was one little boy picking up a starfish and throwing it into the water. And he picked up another one and throwing it into the water. And the man came up to the boy and he said, what on earth are you doing that for? There are thousands, millions of starfish here. You can't really make a difference. And the boy picks up one starfish and throws it in his arm. Made a difference to that one. And that's the important thing. We can make a difference with what we do. So next week, Matt will be talking about the needs of the persecuted church across the world. How we can help them. The week after, we've got Dan Drew from the Hub Church coming to talk about relief trips he's taken to, uh, to help people who've been refugees. And to those, we could add all sorts of things that we have done in this church. We could talk about tear fund work in Africa we've supported, the plight of the Ethiopian Jews that we've supported who've returned to Israel with little to live on, the house-building trips we've done with some of our, our young people who have gone out and doing those, and Carlton, one of our newer members, is out working in Rio de Janeiro right now, just finishing building a house for people who've got no house over there. We could talk about what Sam and Leo are doing in Moldova, the poorest country in Europe. But today, we're just going to look at one organization that we have links with through Dawn Goodwin. This is Dawn Goodwin. Picture coming up. Picture coming up. There's Dawn Goodwin. Uh, she has got, she's the one with the chicken. All right. Uh, now, I don't know how many people know Dawn Goodwin. She was loud. She's been out in Mozambique for two, is it two years or three? I can't think. She's been away for quite some time from us. She works with World Vision which is an amazing Christian charity. World Vision began in 1947 when Dr. Bob Pierce, an American evangelist and war correspondent, took a trip to China and Korea. And amongst the incredible poverty he saw, he saw one girl whose needs tore at his heart. She was called White Jade. Bob gave her guardian his last $5 to support her upbringing and keep her involved in school. And he sent another $5 every month to support her. But he wanted to do more, so three years later, he set up World Vision to help children orphaned by the Korean War. And before long, World Vision began to spread out across the world to care for children in Asian countries, Latin America, Africa, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. And sponsors have come from many other new countries too, just like Britain. And World Vision UK started in 1982. And it's now present in over 100 countries. So one of the things that the World Vision do is they do child sponsorship. And it's the heart of their, their vision, really. 
Uh, but their approach has evolved, and now instead of just focusing on individual children, they work with whole communities to bring about long-term change for all, a change that lasts. And this is what Dawn works with. She's leading teams of people who go out into the country of Mozambique to alleviate poverty, particularly amongst children. Now, we're going to partner with World Vision in an initiative called the Matthew 25 Challenge. One way to find out what it's like for children and people in foreign lands who have little is to go out there and, and experience it for ourselves. For most of us, that's not likely to be possible. So they've developed a challenge to kind of give us a taste. And on your chairs, you will see that there's a card which talks a little bit about that. And I'll talk to the card in just a minute. But first of all, let's watch the video that uh, they have produced to illustrate. You might have seen this last then week, but... the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Hi everyone, I'm Myrie. And I'm Krish. We are going to be doing the Matthew 25 challenge with you this week. Every day through sacrificial challenges, we're gonna be living out Jesus' call in Matthew 25. We're gonna send you a text with a daily challenge, but also some inspiring stories from around the world and some encouragement. The daily challenges are family friendly and include things like sacrificing your bed and sleeping on the floor, skipping a meal and giving up all drinks except water. This week we're going to have our hearts and minds opened to the love of Jesus but also to the realities that people are facing around the world who are living in poverty. We are going to step into the stories of children and families around the globe getting a glimpse of their daily lives. Together, we will live out Matthew 25 and see how we can respond to the needs of the least of these brothers and sisters of ours. Take out your phone now and opt in to the Matthew 25 challenge and opt in info. We hope you'll join us and sign up to take the Matthew 25 challenge. So we'd love to invite all of you to take part in this challenge, to engage in some small way with what it's like for a large proportion of people in this world. And this, there are six daily challenges. I think they're on your card. Uh, on Monday, you skip lunch and break the fast with rice and beans. Uh, that's good. Tuesday, drink only water. That's going to challenge one or two of the members of our church staff team who drink only coffee. Um, Wednesday, you're going to sleep on the floor. <laughs> Be interesting. I don't think I'd sleep if I was on the floor. Uh, 
like that. Thursday, wear the same clothes you did yesterday. For some of our uh, teenage fellows, particularly, that might be true anyway. That wouldn't be a challenge. Um, Friday, reach out to somebody going through a difficult time. Important to do. And Saturday, take a 30-minute prayer walk, perhaps around your neighborhood, to share with people in your area uh, and talk to God about the people who live in the area where you live. So why don't you take out your phone? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, take out your phone if you want to do it right now. Right, you can take your card away and do it when you get home if you want to, but I know what will happen if you do it when you get home. You'll, you'll forget to do it. All right. So if you've got a mobile phone and you want to take it out right now, so just text Matthew 25 to 88080. And the one thing it will ask you, some personal details, you need to use the church uh, postcode in order to register that you've signed on because you're part of us. All right, okay. So can I see any, uh, any mobile phones going out there? Well... You've done it. Hey, well done, that lady. Fantastic. Well done. So, um, so anyway, that's there. The challenge, you've got the cards. Uh, sign up like that. And, and even if you don't do absolutely every one of the challenges, do the ones you can. Maybe some people who could never uh, 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 sleep on the floor or something like that. It might be difficult for you to do so. It's just a little way of you beginning to understand what it's like for people who live in another country. One thing World Vision is good at, and they've told you, this child sponsorship. I'm sure you know how this works. Uh, it costs £26 a month to sponsor a child. It enables that child to go to school, to have all the basics provided for them. You'll be able to write to them and they to you, and you can follow their progress from a young child through to their adult. Uh, that's a thing you might like to do. And on the table by the welcome zone in the cafe, there's a whole selection of leaflets you can look at about child sponsorship. And you've never done child sponsorship. It's a really, really worthwhile thing to do. Of course, many of you are giving to here and giving to there, so I'm not suggesting we've all got to suddenly take this on as well. But if it touches your heart, do it, because it's a very, very valuable thing to do. You know, one of the things we, are, as a leadership, we just want to say again, we are so thankful, so proud of all of you. And in the last offering we gave on the gift day that you gave towards needs all across the world, you gave £70,000. And we are so thrilled and proud of you all for what you've done. Amazing. And, and one of the things, just to interest, if you haven't heard, so we gave a fairly large amount of money to the appeal for a local boy called Seraph, who uh, suffering from uh, a, a really uh, uh, unusual form of cancer, the only place he can get treatments in America. I think we're raising about £240,000, something like that. Something, something of that sort of order. They've got it. They've got all the money they need. And so, therefore, he's going to go off and get all the treatment that he needs. Fantastic. So let's come into land. I want, we must, as a result of this, challenge ourselves. I must challenge myself as to how I respond to the needs of the world around me. Loving others is messy. Loving others is hard. We can be self-righteous like the, the, the Pharisee, thanking God that we're not like other people. 
and drowning out the cries of those who need so much. We must feed the poor, never questioning why they are poor in the first place and judging them because of it. We must feed the poor. Somehow, maybe, love will win through into their circumstances. We must visit those in prison, again, never judging. Why are you in prison? How comes you that's where you've ended up? You know, maybe our love for people in prison will maybe give them some of the love they never had, which was the reason that's where they ended up. We must love them. We must love the outcast, the refugee, the oppressed minority. We must love those whose morality is completely different from ours because Jesus loves them and he died for them too. And at the end of the day, however much you do, you'll always feel you've never done enough. But one of the things we want to encourage in our church is we want to encourage people of passion for particular uh, ministries like this, particular areas where you have a passion, be it, say, trafficking or be it uh, prison visiting or feeding the hungry, perhaps climate change, possibly, possibly stopping plastic waste as it's destroying the environment in so many places. And you'd like us as the church to take action on it. Because you think, well, maybe I'm the only one in the church that feels this way. I guarantee you you're not. I guarantee that there'll be other people who, who feel the same passion that you feel about that. It just might need you to take the first step uh, to actually begin to get us as a church to engage in it. So what we're going to be starting in September, we're going to be starting things called community action groups. And there'll be groups, I don't know, maybe three, four people, maybe more, who knows, who have a particular passion about the world that we live in, and they want to see if we as a church can make a difference. And so therefore, we love you. We love someone to take up the banner. So in other words, don't just wait for somebody else to say they've got a passion about the environment or they've got a passion about feeding the poor or something like that. Why don't you, with the passion you have, begin to take an action? So what we're going to do, it's going to be a month's time yet, but I'm just giving you forewarning. We're going to have a meeting on a Sunday afternoon on the 23rd of June at half past three in the afternoon. And we're going to start the process of seeing if we can get these community action groups in action and getting them started so that we as a church can again begin to, to reach out into the world to see how we can change the world in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, we can make a difference. And we must make a difference because that's why we're here. We're not here just to say, I want to go to heaven. We're here to say, Lord, I'm going to heaven. And because I'm going to heaven, I want as many other people to come with me as possible. And we're going to help them by loving them and loving them into the kingdom. So let's make a difference in our world in Jesus' name, shall we? So let's stand together, shall we? Band, like to come back up. Hallelujah. So I want to challenge you this morning. What is it in your heart you have a passion for? that you would love to see something change, something be different, and you'd like to gather a few people around you who can help you to do the same. Lord, inspire our hearts. Lord, let us not be selfish. Let us not, Lord, be on our own. Lord, just thinking about ourselves. Help us, Lord, to remember that you love and you died for a world 
that is your creation. It's gone wrong, Lord, but you love it just the same. Help each one of us, Lord, to touch that world and to share your love for every single person. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.